Meet Parker Bennett, real estate agent. Parker loves cabinets. Parker has a background in building inspections, so he knows houses. This is the Kamloops Insider with Parker Bennett. Uh, welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Bennett, and welcome, Ashley Recalton. Hi, Parker. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is your first podcast? This is number one. Yep. Awesome. Well, maybe <laughs> there will be more to come. Might be the first and last. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, people have said that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about the judicial process known as probate. And as I start every podcast, I like to start off a little bit of real estate data. So Ashley, if you look behind me, you can see the stats. And these stats are for the month ending of April mm-hmm. of this year. And our median house price is 475000 bucks, which has actually come down significantly from last month, which was sitting at the 500 mark. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what is cool about the stats uh, for this month is that if you look at the total number of units sold so far this year, it says 899 units sold. And of that, 825 are residential units. But if you look at this month, 272 of that 826 have come from the month of April, which means we are in the spring season of selling. Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look down by residential sales by category, you'll see that the bulk of our sales are coming in that four hundred to $500,000 mark, which is why our median house price is sitting at four seventy-five. In the earlier part of the year, we were having a lot of sales in the 600 category, which boosted our numbers up. But right. realistically, I think 475 is more of a, an accurate measure of what's going on in our market right now. And it's good for business because if you look around the province, you're closer to 650 to $700,000 kind of fluctuate somewhere in there as a provincial average for median house price. So campus is just a darn good place to live. It's cheap. Come to campus. <laughs> um, so Ashley, tell me about yourself. You're a lawyer for Weber Law. That's right. Yes. And why... Why, why legal stuff? Why lawyer? How'd you get into that? Uh, so my background is I did my uh, Bachelor of Business Administration degree at TRU in finance, came to graduation time and kind of thought, where do I go from here? Uh, and law seemed like a, a fun option for me. Uh, my, bit, my practice does involve a lot of uh, like corporate commercial uh, work, real estate, walls and estates, all the boring paperwork stuff, which I really like. Okay. I'm not a litigation lawyer. I didn't want to go that route. And so this is kind of a good fit. And I like chatting with people. It gets me into contact with lots of clients. And um, so far, so good. Do you you have family members that are lawyers? I do not, no. Okay, so you're not from a long line of partnered firm? No, only one in the bunch. (laughs) Okay, cool. And like, so when you went to school, you took business, which Mm -hmm. is a pretty common thing to take, right? Yes, yeah. A lot of people fall into that category at the beginning because it's very... It has a, it has, you can expand from that anywhere, right? Yeah, lots of options. Um, so you weren't that kid in high school who was like master of the debate team and you were like headed towards the legal world of lawyerism. I wouldn't say so, no. Is that a word, lawyerism? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I guess I like to argue, but that somewhat comes up in my line of work. Other times it's more just <laughs> being able to deal with people and right. numbers and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's worked out. And you do a lot of real estate stuff now. I do a lot, yes. Okay. Yeah, we have our main office um, up in Summit that deals with our main solicitor practice, and we just opened up uh, a real estate-centered office downtown uh, in the Royal LePage uh, Mortgage Alliance building down on Seymour Street. Right next to me. There we go. Yep. <laughs> We're neighbors. So let me ask you this. 
Is the dream of all lawyers to become a partner? Uh, or to just or do, am, keep... I, am I watching too much TV? Uh, that's maybe the Suits version, I guess. The but Suits Yeah. Okay. I guess make it through the process alive. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, today we're talking about probate, which I'm sure is a very, very <laughs> exciting um, thing to talk about. But for, for lawyers and for real estate professionals, it's pretty important stuff. So I thought this is my own personal preference to have you on and, and chat about this because I need to know more about it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of other realtors do too. So I thought, let's, let's talk probate. Let's talk what probate. a fun topic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So I, I wanted to break the podcast down into three kind of sections and mm-hmm. we'll start off by kind of identifying like what probate is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then I'll talk a little bit about the timelines and then I want to kind of get into some issues that we might run into, but Let's start off by just kind of defining, like, what is probate? So in simple terms, it's the process of validating and approving a will in BC. And this is all done through the BC Supreme Court. Uh, It's a court registry, uh, desk order application. And the end result is you get a court order that uh, issues you a grant of probate. Um, It confirms uh, that the executor named in your will is authorized to um, deal with your estate. Uh, And various other institutions, whether it's banks or the land title office, will require this grant of probate uh, often before they'll uh, deal with that asset in question. So it's an important document, um, and particularly in real estate, because land title office requires the grant of probate in order to transfer property out of the name of a deceased person. So um, particularly relevant for real estate. So if if somebody passes away and um, their executor goes through the process of probate mm-hmm. and probate is granted in every case, does the title change to the executor's name? Yes. So there's a, there's a form, a land title office form that uh, you attach the grant of probate uh, as well as you'll have an affidavit of assets and liabilities uh, that gets all uploaded to the land title office. Uh, and the end result of that is to transfer title from the name of the deceased person into the name of the executor acting on behalf of the estate. So it's not going into their personal name. It's still um, in their role as executor. And then in order to transfer that to a third party, uh, they they would then sign off as the seller to the new third-party buyer. So like John Doe passes away and probate is granted, it's the estate of John Doe? Yes. Okay. And executor signing on behalf of the estate of John Doe, yes. It would identify that on title? Yeah, so it says the person's name, but it'll say uh, Joe Smith, executor of the estate of John Doe. Interesting. Okay, did not Mm -hmm. know that. (laughs) Um, Does everybody go through probate when they die? Uh, not necessarily. It depends on the actual assets that you have in your uh, that make up your estate when you pass away. Uh, there are lots of things that pass outside of your estate. So things like um, if you hold assets as joint tenants with someone else, then the there's a process where you file a death certificate and the property flows to the surviving joint tenant through this uh, right of survivorship. Uh, also, if you're naming people as uh, name beneficiaries on RRSPs or other investments, those don't require grant of probate because they flow to the beneficiary or the survivor uh, kind of through another separate operation of law. It's not uh, required. Probate isn't necessarily required in every situation. That being said, if the deceased died and they're the only person on title to property, we have to, unless other arrangements have been made, we have to go through this probate process. Right. So there's not, I'm like, if I'm trying to prevent 
going through probate when I pass away for my children or family members that survive me. <laughs> is there a way to prevent probate from happening? Can I like be so on top of it of things that probate doesn't happen? Yeah. So we do a lot of, a lot of our work or a lot of our business is trying to estate plan so that we don't have an estate. Uh, So there are certain ways um, that that can be done. Uh, Some of that is done through, we could do pre-signed transfers. We could have different trust documents prepared. Um, You can put other other individuals on title to your property as joint tenants with you. There's pros and cons to doing that, um, both from a legal and liability perspective and also from a tax perspective. So you'd want to make sure that that's all uh, dealt with between you and your different professionals that work with you. But um, no, there are definitely ways that we can do that um, to avoid some of this down the road. Is it fairly, is it done often or is it like, is it not the norm? We try to make it the norm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think planning, right? I think the issue with estate planning generally is people don't want to talk about it and deal with it. So uh, often this this sort of stuff sh- could have been dealt with years prior, uh, and then it sometimes left till. Uh, later in life. And then we also run into capacity sort of issues at that point. So uh, if you leave it too late, it might be in fact too late to make some of these arrangements. So um, the earlier you can kind of think about these things, the better. Right. And, and starting that process off would be just like doing a will, having a legal will. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And because the alternative is you don't, if you don't have a will, then the legislation sets out what your will looks like and it might not be what you, you how you want it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Technically it doesn't matter because you're dead, but. (laughs) We do get that quite a bit as well. (laughs) I'll say, what do you want for, what do you want in your will for this clause? They say, I don't care. I'll be dead. So it it goes either way, (laughs) but good, good to plan ahead. Yeah, especially if you have assets and you want to make sure that your family's being taken care of when you when you go or that, you know, money doesn't just disappear into thin air. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Okay, so probate happens a lot in real estate because of the fact that land titles needs a grant to probate or something significant to transfer the signing authority to mm-hmm. be able to sell that property. Am I, am I in line? Correct. Yes. Yeah, they won't allow a transfer it, it, from a deceased person without it. Okay. In real estate a lot, we... I don't want to say we, but it's confused at times between the power of attorney and the executor of whatever the estate is, right? Right. So help me define the difference. So a power of attorney gives someone uh, authority over your financial affairs. It also includes your real estate holdings um, while you're alive. So once you pass away, that authority ends and it's now your executor that steps in. Often it's the same person that's appointed in both of those capacities. So practically speaking, you might not think that much changes for you, um, but uh, the actual power of attorney document isn't used. It it basically ceases to exist upon death, and then um, you put on your executor hat at that point, and you're acting as executor of the estate based on the will. Right. So I'm going to give you a situation. Um, You're your family member is getting ready to pass and you're appointed the power of attorney while they're alive mm-hmm. and you decide I'm going to list this property for mom, dad, whatever, and get it on the market. And then they pass away. Does, does the legal obligations of the executor immediately take precedence? Like can that person carry on listing the property <coughs> legally because they, they're now the executor at the change, at the turning point of, of, of death? 
Yes. Does the executor have to be proven? Well, yes, they do. They do have the authority based on the will to start to step in and act as executor. Um, Ultimately, so before when you listed the property with your power of attorney, and if the property would have sold before the person passed away, it's a lot more streamlined now. And so you might not have had to like. So there's no probate application. It all kind of flows pretty smoothly. Right. Here now, you're stuck with having to go through probate, and which adds more time and uh, cost to things and energy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, technically, it, at that point, the power of attorney stops, and the executor then steps in and into the role that the power of attorney was um, into their the role that they had prior to the death of the individual. Right. Now, here's something that happens typically when someone passes away and we list the property. Um, we, we build a, a subject clause in there from the seller perspective to mm-hmm. be subject to probate being granted mm-hmm. because if the executor is stepping in to list the property or sell the property or act on behalf of the deceased, they, they still don't have signing authority to be able to change title. Correct? Yeah, they, we can't change title at all. Well, And it's, it's more of a land title issue, so they won't change title without that grant of probate that allows you to take title from the deceased person's name to the executor's name right. with the idea that it goes from basically deceased to executor, executor to third party purchaser. Right. That's good information for realtor staff. <laughs> right? the and the earlier you can transfer it into the name of the executor, do it because even before you're listing the house, it's just a lot easier to deal with closings if that's been done as soon as you get the grant of probate. Right. I've run into problems where um, <laughs> probate takes so long and it, it's, it's, there's, the lawyers are basically saying, we don't even know anymore. Like, I don't even want to give you, I don't want to say eight weeks, 10, because yeah. it's already been 15. <laughs> yeah. And the buyers coming close to their completion date, we still have a subject to probate clause. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in a situation where they need, their house is being sold. So they're getting packed up, ready to move. They don't have that property to move into. Yeah. And then something happens along the lines of maybe we should rent the property to the buyer because they're eventually going to get probably granted at some point. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun ideas that get tossed around at that point. Right. Yeah, fun ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably not something you recommend. I mean, it can work in circum- certain circumstances, but... Risk as well. Yeah, there's definite risk, yeah. Right, okay. So let's chat a little bit about the timeline. And I, I'm not, <laughs> Uh-oh. We, already, we already had a little informal chat about this before we started right. the podcast, but I don't, I don't really need you to define the timeline, like say probate takes nine weeks or it takes 10 based on these four factors, but mm-hmm. let's walk through the process a little bit. So someone passes away, executor takes, takes over the estate or at least authority of the estate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are the first steps that happen in probate? So before you can even make the application to probate, so part of the executor's duties is to basically take an inventory of all the assets and liabilities that the deceased had. And so part of the the timeline question is uh, you're dealing with different financial institutions, so you're dealing with banks, you're dealing with investments, you might be dealing with um, the deceased employer for different pension benefits, all these things. Part of it's a bit of a fact-finding mission for them. So that all takes time to um, contact all these different agencies to get an actual information or to get an actual figure of what 
A, what assets they have and what what dollar amount is on there because we need that before we can actually apply to probate at all. So that's part of the application process. Well, it's 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 putting together the information that you need for the right. application. So the actual application, there's a submission for a state grant, uh, and there's some supporting affidavits. And in the affidavits, they set out all the assets and liabilities. So without that information, you can't even start the court process. So um, that all takes time. Also, there's some notice requirements that need to be given out to beneficiaries, um, and they have a period of time to respond to that. So, I mean, you could be a couple months before you even have all the information you need before you can apply for probate. Um, If you know that the deceased had one single bank account uh, and you can get that information pretty quickly, well, that streamlines things a little bit more. Maybe there's just two beneficiaries, that makes it even easier too. Uh, and also there's, <laughs> there are situations where we have a contentious estate where people are uh, challenging wills and th- challenging. there's issues. So yeah, yeah. that adds a whole other layer of things. But for something that's straightforward, it's mainly just how long is it going to take you to get your um, inventory sort of of assets and liabilities. Sort of yeah. And then once you actually apply to the court then you're dealing kind of on court registry timelines. So uh, everything's kind of based on a first come, first serve uh, scenario. And uh, everything's done through the court registry. So it's not like you're making a formal court uh, application in front of a a justice uh, of the Supreme Court. You're just, uh, you're dealing with the registrar directly. So, um, I mean, we've had some that will come out in three to three weeks or a month or two months, that would be pretty fast. We have some that maybe it's more like six months plus. So it kind of just depends what the registry has on their desk at that point and how quickly they're able to go through these applications. Um, sometimes they have a lot of, e- I guess, quote, easy ones. And then other times they have ones that are much more complicated and involve more time. And in which case that's just going to delay your application because you just kind of go in the queue behind them. So, right. um, so okay, let me let yeah. me sum this up the way that I the way that I'm hearing. <laughs> so that, so. that wasn't a complete answer, I know, but <laughs> so let, let's say little Johnny dies, old Johnny dies, and you <laughs> you are the executor. So you step into the role, and you're like, okay, I, I know he's got a pension. Okay, mm-hmm. I know he's got some RSPs. I know he has a cabin at the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, do I you know maybe I phone around and see if there's anything else that maybe he owns or oh, we didn't realize he had a hot rod in the in the garage, right? So you sort all that stuff out. I assume that the application process that you're going to apply for requires certain documents for every type of asset that you would have, right? Like certain payout statements for MasterCard. Yeah, Yeah, you just need to justify where you came to the value amount on the documents. Yeah. And then when you apply to registry, okay, they're going to look at this stuff are they doing like investigation on what you did or are they just looking to see that makes sense and there's there's no need to suspect otherwise? They're not doing any of the legwork. No. Sometimes they'll have questions about um, like how you came to a certain valuation for, for properties, for example. Right. Uh, and there's been situations where uh, we've had to adjust the valuation because they're not happy with that. Uh, so they don't go too they're not making phone calls to all the pension plans and all that. Right, okay. um, but they're just looking to make sure everything makes sense. Um, and yeah, from time to time, if they have any issues with the application, they'll kind of, they'll send you a little bit of a list with things that they want corrected. Hopefully you don't get that list and everything just goes, uh, smooth. goes smooth. And then you're kind of on to the next stages. Okay. So let, let's make some hiccups. Okay. 
<laughs> Let's say out of the blue, you have applied, you set your application in, and Molly down the street, your neighbor, says, hey, I loaned Johnny 20000 bucks to buy that motorcycle he's got. He's never paid me back. How does that play into it? So... As executor, that's part of your... <laughs> that's your due diligence at the beginning. Yeah, so part of that is to, when I'm talking about setting out the liabilities, that includes, you know, like credit cards, any other creditors that might pop up from time to time. So that's going to add a bit of a hiccup in things, right. and it's going to hold off ultimate distribution until that's dealt with. So there's ways for creditors to hold up estates. There's also way, ways for beneficiaries to hold up distributions of estates um, through... Like an application to vary a will, for example, or but and creditors is a, is a separate issue, but okay, I yeah, it, it adds it definitely adds some more it adds more time and effort on the on the part of the executor to deal with things like that. So what I'm hearing, at least what I think I'm hearing, is the executor has the strongest position in there to speed it up by by doing the the, the legwork that needs to be done under probate. Yeah, and, and often an executor too. It's, it sounds like a daunting task. They're, they do have a lot of responsibilities and obligations, um, but and often they'll they'll have a law firm that helps them do that too. So it's not like they're totally on their own, and sure. it'll be a team with their lawyer and accountant and other advisors and that kind of thing. But yeah, they're the um, they're kind of the final say in these things. They do have a duty and an obligation to act in the best interest of the estate okay. uh, and do things in good faith, and so they have. Um, they have a fiduciary duty in that respect. Um, but yeah, a lot falls on their shoulders. Okay. <laughs> so two, when you're picking executors, make sure you, you talk to that person, make sure that they're willing to take that on because it is, it is, it can be a daunting task in some scenarios. Right. I, I'm glad I wasn't picked. <laughs> and it's always, an executor can always say no too. So that's why it's good to ask them before so that you're not going to be left with no one um, when the time comes that that wants to volunteer for this. Exactly. In most wills, you'll you'll name an executor and you'll also name an alternate. So it right. kind of deals with that scenario a little bit. Interesting. So um, how does everyone get paid? Is there fees involved? Obviously, court wants a fee, right? Yeah, so there's some court probate fees uh, involved, and th- that's based on the value of the estate. Right. Uh, so if the estate is $25,000 or less, there's no probate fees. Um and then as you go up in value, they have their tariff system while they're, wh- where they will um, assign a certain dollar value per $1,000 type thing. So okay. it's all based on the value of the estate. Is it ridiculous? Um, so to just give you a few examples, uh, like for an estate valued at $100,000, we are looking at $850 of probate okay. fees. Uh, for a, a value of an estate of $500,000, we are dealing at about $6,500 in fees. So. Okay. Uh, it obviously goes up the more the value of the estate goes up, but um, yeah. And then there's also there's legal fees and accountant fees involved with settling estates as well. Which is by the hour kind of thing, right? For the most part, I think, um, or at least when the, the the professionals, when they'll set their fees, I think it's somewhat with a hourly in mind right. based on what, they'll kind of look at what we have to deal with and um, what kind of headaches we're going <laughs> to come across and yeah, go right. from there, but um yeah, it kind of just, it's somewhat on a case-by-case, case, but we have a rough idea of what's going to be pretty smooth and what's going to cause, cause problems. a little bit of problems, yeah. Who pays, or, or how does this work? Maybe you've never had this happen, but 
let's say somebody has a house, but there's not a lot of equity and they pass away and there is no executor and there just doesn't seem to be any family members, like you don't just disappear. Your asset still has to be dealt with. How, how does that work? Like, so if you don't have a will at all, um, that's, there's an application. So when, when there's a will, we apply for a grant of probate. When we don't have a will, we apply for um, letters of administration. And so in that scenario, someone would have to step up to basically be appointed by the court to act as administrator, a.k.a. executor without a will sort of thing. Right. Um, otherwise, because that property has to be dealt with somehow, um, but someone does need to step up and apply to be named as an administrator. Uh, and then in terms of the distribution of the person's assets, uh, basically the legislation, we have a wills, estates, and succession act. They set out kind of a statutory will that says if, if, if a person passes away and they have one spouse and no kids, this is what happens. Right. If they have two spouses or one, not two spouses, spouse. one spouse and two kids or whatever, it, it does set it all out. Right. Um, so it's not like nothing happens. It just makes it more difficult and you don't have any say on what happens to your assets. So right. that's a plus of doing a will. Exciting stuff, isn't it? Oh yeah. It's a real rush. <laughs> Every time I watch um, Suits, and I think, maybe I should have taken a different role. You've just clarified that I, I, made, I made the right decision by not entering the legal profession. <laughs> um, any closing thoughts on that? Probate, in general? you have any awesome stories that you can manipulate to not disclose relevant information about anything? Um, well, I, I don't do estate litigation, but we do see files that are on the verge of that from time to time, and right. you, you definitely deal with um, people's family dynamics that maybe when you're doing a real estate conveyance or <clears throat> an asset purchase, you're not dealing with. So right. it kind of brings, it's, a, it's an emotional time for everyone, which we all understand, and death is difficult, and especially when we're dealing with large sums of money, <clears throat> it's interesting. <laughs> people kind of come out of the woodwork sometimes and there's just the family dra drama. Years, but they did send Christmas cards. They want their... Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I think there's just a lot of misinformation out there too with uh, who who can bring challenges to a will or what how the process works. And, right. and so you're kind of dealing with that too with disgruntled family members or just people that aren't familiar with the process. And so... I've actually done a lot of real estate in this situation. So I've had to like learn on the fly about, you know, how this all comes together. Yeah. And the fuzzies you've clarified for me. So I'm, I thank you for that. Um, and I hope that like if other realtors are listening too, because I, I think this would be a really good applicable conversation that we're having mm -hmm. um, to a lot of relevant stuff that happens in our industry, which is cool. And um, you know, if you're not a realtor or a lawyer and, and, Probably doesn't sound sexy. This is probably not. And the congratulations to you. To yeah. Jump in on this podcast, but yeah. uh, um, closing thoughts for me. Um, just thank you for coming in and spending your time. I know it's the busy time of the real estate season, so it's not awesome that you break away for an hour or whatever to come chat with us. No, it gets me out of the office. So there you go. It's uh, no happy to help. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in, and hopefully this is not the last podcast you do. <laughs> Maybe we can do something funner later. Right on. Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. But before we go, how do people get a hold of you? How do they find you? So we have two offices. So we have our <clears throat> main office at uh, Unit 209-1211 Summit Drive. It's in the uh, Canadian Western Bank building on Summit. Right. And then we also have our uh, new branch office down at 830 Seymour Street in Kamloops. Um, and 
yeah, you can find me there. Call Parker Bennett now for your complimentary home evaluation. 303-575-5500.